How are we doing today? You sound like you're doing pretty good. My name is Matt Miller. I am one of the pastors here at New City Church, and man, really glad I had the chance to meet several of you who are first-time uh, first guests with us, uh, invited by a friend or visiting family. Welcome to New City Church. If your kid is going here, we're doing our best to teach them right. Don't, you know, some of you are cared about your kids. I get that. I got kids. How many of you guys have kids? How many of you uh, are having to cook lunch today? How many of you just to get to show up and eat lunch today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know that uh, some of the most interesting conversations in the Bible, in the Gospels, happen around a meal? Some, I've, I've, I've heard uh, some people even write and say that Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. Really? That some of the most intriguing conversations that Jesus had wasn't on a pulpit. It was around a dinner table talking to people as they were uh, breaking bread, having food. Um, I don't know exactly what they ate, but as they ate. It's kind of interesting, right? Today I want to talk to you about eating food. Not so much eating food, but a conversation that happened uh, around, uh, around a meal. Uh, before we do, I'm going to get in trouble if I forget this. If you're on the aisles, there's this little clipboard, has a, a sign-in sheet. We invite you to let us know that you're here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, um, we invite you to let us know that as well. Why do we do this in New City? This may be a little odd for some of you. This is how we choose in our best practice to be able to truly care for you. Right Now, if you want to stay anonymous and you want to be hidden, that's fine. I can't help that. But, man, I'm telling you, some people need to be cared for. They need pastors. They need to be a part of a church, not just go to a church. And this is our attempt to do that because we know your name. We know what service you go to. We know who you are. And that's one of our goals for the next three years is that you are known and that you know you're known. So if you're here today and you're looking for a church home, this is really important. We have four outcomes. I just want to give you the first one. Um, when Chad walks in the room right here, my friend Chad, and I see him walk in, I think to myself, hey, Chad's here. Well, that's good. I know Chad. But when I say, hey, Chad, hey, Kim, now they know that I know they're here and they know that I know their name. That means something to people, right? And not only do I know their name, I know their story, right? I'm praying with them on specific things right now. It's fun to be a part of a church body where we pray for each other and that we are known and you know you're known. Now, if you don't want to be known, there are some seats in the back in the dark. I can't even see if you sit back there, right? You get the same message, right? You get the same worship, but you can stay hidden. But, man, we want to be a church that we know each other. Man, you're going to get me on a whole other topic. Let's stick, but let me get back on what I feel like God's given me permission to speak on uh, this morning. So the Easter message is one that, uh, for a communicator, carries a lot of weight because you don't want to say something stupid on Easter, Right? Uh, on the rest of the year, you're okay to say stupid stuff, but on this one day, right? And uh, But I feel like God gave me permission to speak on Luke chapter 7 you know, several weeks ago. And what was so encouraging, a uh, part of my rhythms, uh, if you're like, hey, my, this is a rhythm of mine. On Saturdays, uh, that's when I observed the Sabbath on Saturday. And about 2 o'clock, I go uh, to a place and I set up my computer and I have my Bible and I have a Sabbath reading schedule that I do. And yesterday, as a part of my reading, was Luke chapter 7. And so I just feel like the Lord say, good boy. You, you, it was good affirmation for me. And so uh, I'm really excited to share this message. Uh, last uh, Friday night, we celebrated Good Friday, uh, Jesus' death on the cross. So why do we celebrate that? Well, that's why we're able to talk to God, because Jesus is our atonement, our reconciliation. Uh, the reason we get to praise, uh, praise uh, Jesus and praise God is because of Jesus' death and, of course, his resurrection. And uh, that, the, there were two words for Friday night, if you were here, and those two words were reflection and reverence. Like we were going to be very reflective on what Christ had done for us and have great reverence towards him. Today, if I could give you two words, based on the scripture we're going to look at, the two words are 
weeping and welcoming. Weeping and welcoming. And this story that I want to share with you out of Luke chapter 7 is a story of a notorious saint and a notorious sinner. All right? A notorious saint and a notorious sinner. And I'm guessing the reason I wanted to go this way on Sunday is I'm guessing that most of you in the room fall in between one of those two extremes, right? Somewhere between a notorious saint and a notorious sinner. So let's jump right in here in uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees, the Pharisee would be the notorious saint, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went into the Pharisee's home and took his place at the table. Then when a woman of that town, who was a sinner, there's the notorious sinner, when she learned that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfumed oil. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and anointed them with the perfumed oil. Kind of a strange story, right? Like, I doubt anyone's Resurrection Sunday, your Easter lunch, is going to look like this. I doubt anybody's going to come behind you and weep so much that your feet get wet with their tears, right? And if that did happen, you're going to ask the waiter at Ryan's to please leave you alone, right? That's just, that's just odd. That's an awkward thing. Now, let me give you some background to what might not make this or seem so weird or so odd. Um, this would have been considered an open table, uh, an open table conversation, meaning that... Um, whenever someone was having a prominent dinner and inviting a special guest such as Jesus, they would have invited seats, of course, but it was very common for other people in the town, not just sinners, anybody, to also come to that meal and stand on the, on the edges, to stand around the table along the walls and watch and listen to the conversation. So it's kind of like open table, right? Come and hear about what's going to happen. And so that's why it's not odd that this notorious sinner, this woman about the town, that she has showed up to this Pharisee's house. He wouldn't have gone, oh my gosh, what it, it would have been very, very common. So that happens. Um, and she, now we don't know what happens, but something is said where she begins to weep, right? Now, do we understand the difference between crying and weeping? We've all cried, right? Your kids might have cried today, right? Some of you might have cried coming in here because you have a drug problem. Somebody drug you to church. Ah, come on. That's the only joke I've written for the day. It's the only, it's the only penciled in joke. Worked. Got to laugh. All right, right. Um, where was I? Um, there's a difference between crying and weeping. We've all cried. And so also, I would say many of us in this room have wept. And I would say the older you are, the higher the percentage is that you have wept. Because crying, we say, hey, um, I need this box of tissues. I need to, I need to, I'm just, I'm crying. And you, you know, you dab your eyes. It was such a sweet song, right? And you just kind of maybe blow. When you weep, like your body makes noises. It's uncontrollable and it's not pretty. I mean, think about, take your, like I think about when my Paul Miller, my grandpa, I called him Paul, when he, I was a 10th grader when he passed away with bone marrow cancer. And man, I remember weeping for that man. And he was my friend. And that was so many years ago, but I remember laying in my bed, just weeping, and my dad's cousin, we call him Bertie, came into my room. The only conversation I really remember with this guy named Bertie, and he said, your Paul was a good man. I remember that, man, and just the weeping. Now, why was I in my room? Because if something was said today that caused you to weep, you're going to make a scene because that's what people who are weeping do. And you say things like, I got to get out of here. 
And you run and you go to the bathroom or to a room and you close the door so that you can be alone because the sounds that you make when you're crying uncontrollably and the snorts that you make, it's, it's awkward and it's weird and you just want to get out of the people's way so that you can just do your thing and be extremely sad. Some of you have done that, right? This woman doesn't run. I find that interesting, right? Like, if that happens today at your Easter lunch, you're going to excuse yourself and you're going to get away. This woman doesn't do that. She stays. And many of us in this room know exactly why she stays. It's because that lady doesn't need K-Love, and I love K-Love. That woman doesn't need another podcast on how to handle grief or sadness. She's not needing a devotion. What that woman needs is the person of Jesus himself. And some of us have been in this place, like I can go back to a few years ago, where the only thing that was suitable for me, the only thing that worked, was for me to sit in my chair, in my garage, even though it was freezing outside, with tears rolling down my face, and simply say, Jesus, I'm here on purpose, and you're the, you're the only one that can handle what I'm going through. There wasn't somebody calling me and saying, Matt, it's going to be okay. It wasn't a devotion. It wasn't a message. It was simply me sitting there and saying, Jesus, I'm here on purpose, and I need you. Some of you have wept that hard. And so you get the fact that there are some times when you don't need anything else but to simply be with the person of Jesus. His teachings are fantastic, but it's the person of Jesus that we worship, not his words. And this woman gets that, and she, what does she do? She falls at his feet weeping. Tears come out of her eyes so much that his feet start getting wet, and she dries off his feet with her hair. I did a little research for you this week. Um, you could do this on your own as well, but I wanted to know what type of weeping there was in the Bible. Because some of you, when I talk about the gut-wrenching weeping, maybe those of you who are younger, you just simply don't get it yet. You've cried hard, but you haven't like, this is bad, and I don't like anything that's going on, and I can't handle it weeping. Some of you haven't been there yet. And so maybe this can prepare you, right, to encourage you. For those of us who have been here, then maybe you can reflect a little bit, but there's four types of weeping that we find in Scripture. I want to start with the worst one, okay? And this is clearly the evangelistic one. This is the one that uh, churches are going to talk about uh, throughout the year. And what's interesting about it, it's the only bad one of the four. And the person who uses it is Jesus. Jesus uses this first example of weeping. It's found in the New Testament, primarily in the Gospels. Uh, and it's, well, here, here it is if you want to write in the blank. It's regret and rage. Re- regret and rage. And Jesus gives this in several parables, this idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth, talking to people who would hear his message and yet choose not to respond. They would hear his knocking, but choose not to answer. They would choose, yeah, I know, but that's just not for me. And he would say things like this, and he would assign to him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's the picture. Imagine extreme Hardcore emotion, uncontrollable crying, extreme sadness paired with extreme rage. God, I am so saddened by my circumstances and I'm so mad at you. Extreme sadness, extreme rage. Man, you pair those two together, that's a horrible set of emotions. That's a bad cocktail. That's bad. And listen, no one in this room has to experience that. Here's why I know. For whatever reason, maybe that someone did drag you to church today. Maybe you chose to come on your own. But for however it happened, God got you here to New City Church today. And you're sitting and you're listening to this balding chubby guy talk to you about Jesus. So you don't get to say, well, God never tried to get me. This may be your one shot. I don't know. 
But my prayer, and you've been prayed for all week, you've been prayed for all day, is that you have no reason to ever be a person who is weeping and gnashing of teeth because God loves you and he's been chasing your sorry butt since the day you were born. You've been chased. And God, throughout your life, has put little godly people, all specks of people in your life, who have continued to point you towards the way of the cross. And for whatever reason, man, you're here today. I'm so glad you're here. Man, my goal today is to be as authentic and as honest with you as I can. Because, dude, you are the solution to someone's problem. I believe that. But first, but first, God's got to get you. God's got to get you. Don't you go out and try to save the world until God first saves you. And I believe, myself included, everyone in this room is a solution to someone else's problem. Regret and rage. Let's get away from that one now, right? Bad. We don't want that one, right? Let's talk about some different ones. Number two, unanswered prayer. This one's a a lot in the Old Testament and New Testament, the unanswered prayer. I gave you one from my favorite Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, about a lady named Hannah. On one occasion in Shiloh, after they had finished eating and drinking, there's another meal. Hannah got up. Now, at that time, Eli the priest was sitting in his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Hannah was very upset as she prayed to the Lord, and she was weeping uncontrollably. She made a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will look with compassion on the suffering of your female servant, remembering me and not forgetting your servant, and give me a male child. She's praying for a baby. Hannah is older. All of her friends already have kids. She doesn't have a child and she wants a baby so bad. And actually, if you read all of the story, she's weeping so uncontrollably that Eli, the priest, actually thinks that she is drunk on the church's doorsteps. And he gets on to her. What are you doing drinking at church? You're drunk, woman. And she's like, Eli, I'm not drunk. I want a baby. I'm sad. And I'm crying out to God. Unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks has a song called Unanswered Prayers, right? Now, some unanswered prayers are good that they don't get answered. And you see that in hindsight 2020. But many of us right now are praying, still praying to God to do things that he has yet to do. And it causes you to weep. Be encouraged. God answered Hannah's prayer. God might answer your prayer. And also be aware that no is an answer to prayer. I know it ain't what you want to hear. Because every season in the fall, when my kids dress up like other things and go to people's houses and get candy at trick-or-treating, they just beg mom and daddy to let them eat it all. I love my kids, no. Because when you go to bed, I'm going to eat it. So, <clears throat> Unanswered prayer, right? That's, that's the second one. Here's the third one. The third one is loss or lack of hope. Loss or lack of hope. I want to share a little bit of the resurrection story here, Right? Some of us, we weep because we have lost someone, we've lost something, or we don't have any hope in a current situation. There's no way your kid will return home. There's no way reconciliation in the relationship is going to happen. There's just no way this could happen. Your life is always going to be this way. You're stuck in a rut, and you've lost it because you did something silly, or somebody took advantage of you, and there's just no hope for tomorrow, right? Look with me in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, over Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go up and anoint him, him being Jesus. He's in the tomb. And the reason they're doing this is because Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did the best they could before the Sabbath started on Good Friday. They only had a little bit of time. And so the women are going back to make sure that their king, Jesus, their best friend, is taken care of properly. And very early on the first day of the week, today, at sunrise, they went to the tomb. 
They had been asking each other, who will roll the stone away for us for the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled of back had been rolled away. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has been raised. Amen. He is not here. Look, there is a place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Then they went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Early on the first day of the week, after he arose, he appeared first to Mary, for whom he had driven out seven demons. She went out and told those who were with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe her. They did not believe. There was such weeping going on by the remaining disciples. There was such sadness that they were uh, miserable. Because they had lost their best friend. They had lost their hope of Messiah, someone who was going to drastically change the conditions of the people, whether it be politically or through military. And Jesus didn't do either one of those things. Instead, he went and died. And now they're grieving. They're sad. They're weeping uncontrollably for the thing that they have lost. But we know the story, right? That's why we're here today. That Jesus was going to resurrect through the mighty power of God. They didn't know it. Are you weeping? Be cautious that you might be weeping for something that's only a temporary loss or a temporary change. If there was no death, there could be no resurrection. If there was no loss, there could be no proclaimed joy. If there was nothing that was a lack of hope, man, here's my prayer for you. Those of you who are unanswered prayer and you're weeping because of lack of hope, be cautious of when, when, not if, when Jesus comes through for you, that you don't have to apologize for your behavior. Can I say that again? For many of us in the room who are very saddened and frustrated about current circumstances, and it's not what you want it to be, when Jesus comes through for you, and when it's revealed, for whatever reason, the solution is revealed, man, put yourself in a place, your heart and your mind, and your behavior now, that you don't have to apologize to Jesus for your behavior back then. Be a person who says, you know what, Lord, that time of my life was horrible, but I was faithful through it. Don't have to say, oh, Lord, I can't believe my faith was so weak. I I can't. No, 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 no. You know, repent of that behavior. Repent of that attitude so that when the glory is established, when the prayer is answered, when the hope is restored, you get to go, Woo! had to wait. But Lord, I was faithful. I was faithful, man. That's a good place to be. The last example of weeping in the Bible, and it's rare. I only found one time. It's weeping for joy. And it was found in Ezra. And it's when the old people of the Bible, when they were young, they saw their temple destroyed. And when they're really old, they see their temple rebuilt. And it says they, woohoo! Because that was the centerpiece of their faith. And they literally wept with joy and shouts of praise because God had done something that they never thought they would ever see be done. How will you weep? Today, how will you weep going forward? Will it be because of weeping and gnashing of teeth because you said no to Jesus and his kingdom? Are you weeping because of unanswered prayers for lack of hope? Are you weeping today out of joy? Man, you can't believe God did what he did. And it's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Let's get back to the text. So this woman is weeping. Everybody else has stopped eating and watching this scene, right? Just as you would have done. This has got a crazy person making a lot of noise down here, and I can't believe Jesus is not doing anything about it. Notice what happens. Now, when the notorious saint 
who had invited Jesus saw this, the woman weeping at Jesus' feet, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he wouldn't know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. (coughs) So Jesus answered him. Jesus answered his thoughts. I love the fact that some of you are thinking things right now. And I love the fact that Jesus is big enough to handle them and to respond if you will listen. Not me. I can't read your thoughts. I can read your faces, but I can't read your thoughts. But Jesus knows your thoughts. And again, I believe he is chasing you and pursuing you and wanting to respond to each and everything that you're considering about him. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have, a cre- uh, have something to say to you. He replied, say it, teacher. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 silver coins and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfumed oil. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. Thus, she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. This is a story of a notorious saint and a notorious sinner. And when I said that at the beginning of the sermon, many of you might have associated yourself in a certain place. And I'm going to guess that a lot of us in the room, like myself, when I read this, associated myself with that notorious saint. And that is why we have a hard time worshiping. That is why we have a hard time praising Jesus, because we're doing pretty good. Like, follow me around. I got nothing to hide, right? Like, watch how I love my family. Watch how I read my Bible. Watch how I pray. Watch how I lead groups. Watch how I prepare for messages. Watch how I'm a friend. And you know what? Matt Miller, man, he's doing pretty good. I'm a notorious saint, baby. I even put on a tie today. But yet, how do us notorious saints love Jesus like a notorious sinner would? Like, what is it about many of us in the room that we think we're doing just fine? And we love Jesus and we respect Jesus, but you know what? We're pretty close to Jesus. And we think he is our peer. And that somehow if Jesus walked in the room, he would put his arm around us and go, man, I'm really, man, you're doing so good. And I want him to do that. But man, for many of us in the room, here's the thing. We have to remember that there was a time in our life when if it wasn't for Jesus, we would be in a completely different place. And some of you are at that fork of the road even today. And you relate and you connect with this notorious sinner in some ways. But it is dangerous for a lot of church folk to be thinking, oh man, I'm that notorious saint. Like, man, how do we get to the place where we fall at the feet of Jesus? And that we weep on his feet out of worship because he is the only one who is going to be good. Or are you just good? And everything that you do is just part of your current Christian rhythms. Like you didn't come to Easter resurrection service today because you got to fall at the feet of Jesus. You came today because it's Easter and that's what you do. And even when we encouraged you to worship, it was just, yeah, you know, I don't really like this song. What is it? How do we get to the place? How do we get to the place where we simply can unashamedly fall down at the feet of Jesus and men just weep with joy for who he is in our life, that we love him that much, we respect him that much, we care for him, we need him that much, and he's not just some guy who's coming over to the house to grab a bite to eat. 
Man, Lord, help me to love you like that woman loved you. Help me worship you, Lord, like that woman worshiped you. And spank my spiritual butt anytime I treat you the way that that notorious saint treated you. Here's the question I said, the, 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 the weeping and welcoming. My question for us is, how will you welcome Jesus into your home, into your life? How do you welcome him? I'm, I'm going to lay something on you, okay? This is a story that happened a long, long time ago, a story from the past. This is not your story. We can learn from it, but this is not your story. I didn't tell you to insert your name. And no, no, this is their story. We learn from it. We, we gain application from their story. You're currently writing your story. Like you're going to do something today. You're making decisions right now. You're going to make decisions about tomorrow and next Sunday and next week. And you're going to continue to write your spiritual story. And I don't care how you write it. Actually, I do care. That's not true. I can, as you write it, would you consider starting it with this next couple of sentences? And let me tell you what they are. Did you know that there is a future book in the Bible called Revelation? And in that future book, Jesus actually wrote seven, seven letters. It's seven either way. Seven letters he wrote sent to seven different churches. And many scholars believe that those seven churches represent seven ages of the church. And many scholars believe that right now we're in the seventh age. And so Jesus wrote a letter to you and I. When John was isolated on the island of Patmos, he said, John, write these seven letters. Here's what I want to say. And to you and I, this is what he says. It's found in Revelation 3.20. Hasn't happened yet. This is resurrected Jesus, holes in his wrist, holes in his feet, spirit holding his side Jesus. This is not uh, the servant Jesus who was, uh, uh, this is resurrected, the lion and the lamb Jesus, all authority, all powerful, out of the grave, resurrected Jesus writing this letter. And he says to you and I, he says, listen, I am standing at the door and I am knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and give him a three-point message on how to be a better evangelist to his family and friends. That's not what it says. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in and I will tell you all of the stupid things that you've been doing and give you a spiritual wedgie until you do the things that I want you to do. Is that what it says? What does it say? Will you read it with me? Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Jesus just wants to know you. And he wants you to be known. And I don't know what you think he's going going to do or what he wants to do in your life. I don't know why you're like this to the things and to the claims of Jesus, but Jesus tells us clearly, I'm standing at your heart's door and I'm just knocking. And if you hear me and you open the door, I'm going to come in and I'm just going to spend time with you. And you're going to find out that you can trust Jesus. And you're going to see that you're going to really like Jesus. And you're going to see that the plan and the purpose and the passion that Jesus has for you and the relationship is inspiring. Even if you don't like me, don't get me in the way of what Jesus is trying to say to you. He's standing. Now listen, we can ignore that knocking. This morning I drove from Starbucks to here. It's less than a quarter of a mile. I didn't put my seatbelt on. Okay. Didn't put my seatbelt on. And for a quarter of a mile, I heard ding, 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 ding. 
ding for my Jeep. I heard it, ding, ding, ding. And I ignored it because I didn't want to do this for a quarter of a mile, right? So I I put up with ding, 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 ding. Some of you have been putting up with ding, ding, ding for a long time because you clearly know it's Jesus and you clearly know it's him knocking. And for whatever reason, you keep saying, I can't hear you, la, 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 la. I can't hear you. Man, can I tell you, he's not here to condemn you. Read it. I want to share a meal with you. I'm going to ask Curtis and the team to come up. And uh, I asked Curtis to do a specific song because um, I make the assumption that we know how to respond to that scripture. I don't want to make that assumption today. Forgive me in the past for making that assumption. If you're here this morning... And you would say, Matt, today, right now, I hear that scripture happening in my life. The coffee and the donuts haven't distracted it. I can't get over the fact that no matter what I try to do, the knock just gets louder. And you know in your heart that Jesus is knocking on your heart's door and he's saying to you today, this is it. What do you do? Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Come in. Tell Jesus, Jesus, come in. The door is open. You are welcome in this place. Isn't that a fun prayer? Come in, come in. The door is open. You are welcome in this place. And that's where we start. And allow the the Lord, allow Jesus to begin to minister to your life, to begin to shape how you do life, begin to teach you and instruct you. Because when you get Jesus, you get his Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls the great counselor. And that great counselor is with you all the time. I'm not. But the Holy Spirit's with you. And he speaks to your very life and guides your every step. He stands at the door of our church today. Can I just say as the pastor of New City Church that Jesus don't need to knock. Like, the door is open. We want Jesus in this church body. We want Jesus welcomed at New City Church. And I tell Jesus that all the, way, all the time, by the way. And this is not a one-time thing, by the way. It's important for us to know. For those of us who maybe uh, got a little convicted when I talked about us being a notorious saint, every day we have the opportunity to say, Lord, I hear you knocking, come into my life. You have an opportunity to pray and have a, share a meal with him and talk to him and dive into the word and learn more about his words and his ways and who he was as a person. I just, man, what a great Resurrection Sunday. Today when you go eat that food, Jesus wants to do the same thing. When you laugh around that table, when it's just good to see your kid because you haven't seen him in a while and you're going to grab something to eat, that's what Jesus is looking for with you. Would you guys stand with me? And we're going to sing a song. It's a prayer, right? I set you up good. Come in, come in, the door is open. And here's what I know. And I'm asking for my, some of my church, my notorious saints to help me with this. Nobody wants to be the first, ter- the first person to come up and pray. But they sure want to be the second. And there are some things, because I remember being in this place in my life where I needed to get on my knees and just go to the Lord in prayer saying, Father, thank you. And it's a great way just to simply say, come in. And so I'm going to ask some of our notorious saints to start the process and to be faithful to what God's saying to you. I'm going to be up here standing. If you want to come do the old school thing and you want to pray with a pastor, I'd love to pray for you. 
But the most important thing is this, is that we respond to Revelations 3.20 and we say, Jesus, I hear you knocking, and I don't know where you are on the spectrum. Notorious saint, notorious sinner, but Jesus, I hear you knocking. Come in, come in to my life. The door is open. You are welcome in this place. Amen. Father, may your name be honored. May you be lifted high. And God, may we respond in truth. May we respond in love to what you have done for us. In Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen. As we sing, let's pray together.